how is this serving what we're trying to do? How is, how is this helping me uplift others? And so it's really that back looking inward. That's where the whole looking inward comes from. It's like checking in with your mindset. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. One of the roles that leaders has is to uplift those around them, especially when they're confronted with the unknown. My guest in this episode is Brian Kelly, who is dedicated to unleashing human greatness and uplifting those he meets. Brian helps humans and teams see self and others with great acuity so they can effectively optimize their results and relationships. He cultivates each person's unique talents into strengths and looks to connect leaders to themselves. So get ready to unleash your greatness and dive in. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Great to be with you. Well, let's kick it off right away. What does it mean to you to lead people first? So leading people first, to me, it's about leading with heart. And so that means caring. That means curiosity about people. It means taking the time to get to know people. And it means being willing to be vulnerable and stepping into your vulnerability and modeling what you'd like to see more of from your people so that they feel comfortable stepping into their own vulnerability. And so it's really about connecting with people, um, creating the conditions for them to be successful. And this all then has to start with your relationship with yourself as a leader and standing in um, your own strength of who you are and all who you're not. And, and that's the other thing too, in terms of leading people. Um, it's, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being right. It's about bringing what you have and inviting what others have so that together we're better. And I think that's something that uh, is an opportunity for a lot of uh, us as leaders to step into that, not having to know it all, not having to be perfect and not having to be right. And um, inviting and creating that space of inviting others to bring what they have, contributions and ideas, because that's how we get to diversity and inclusion. And that's how we integrate all that into creating better together. Yeah, it's so important for us to know who we are, right, as ourselves, because growing up, it's always been, I feel like we tell a lot of people, figure out who you are, really self-reflect, really, uh, because that just leads to better mental and emotional states, and we can really grow as individuals. So that allows us to lead ourselves, but it's even doubly true for when we actually have to lead other people, right, when we actually influence others. And Again, even more so on top of that, when we get into organizations and that there's results that are expected from that. So yeah, absolutely. We have to make sure that we really know who we are and have that ability to be self-reflective. And from my, my opinion, we have to be humble to be willing to accept who we are, uh, you know, absolutely. warts and all. Yeah. I love that, Chris, in terms of the humility and it comes down to self-awareness too, right? And so I think for new leaders, especially, I noticed this, and I remember when I was a new leader, all we, all we can do in terms of leading others is what we know, right? And so we try and create other versions of ourselves or have the same expectations. And that's the, the opportunity is when you know yourself, uh, and it's a continual process, a growth process, but when you know yourself so well and you take the time to get to know others, then we have the opportunity to understand what everyone does well, what their motivations are, what create, what conditions we can uh, create to help them succeed. And then we unleash the, in, the human greatness and in individuals, teams, and then obviously the organization as a whole as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, when we, again, can really unleash that, we unleash it within ourselves and we can really amplify the, the effect that we have on others. And I really love your story. Um, and learning when you were in your coaching program at Georgetown and how you had to learn to be vulnerable. And it really was a critical moment for you in your life that shaped your views on being a people first and human first leader. Can you go a little bit into that, but I really want to know what are some of the other critical life lessons that you went through that helped you get you to where you are today and how you actually learned to lead people first? 
Thank you, Chris. So the George, I call it the Georgetown story now. Uh, <laughs> the Georgetown story. So going into the Georgetown, I um, I knew some people that had been through the program. My mentor, who um, kind of suggested I go, and some other people. So I asked them what to expect, and they're like, "Yeah, you're gonna have to bring stories. You know, you're gonna have to coach each other, peer coaching and whatnot." And I was like, "Fine, you know, I'll play, but I'm gonna control, you know, everything because that's the mindset. I, I was in self-protective mode. I had my armor up." And so I was, I needed to control everything. So go through the program, uh, struggling a little bit with uh, applying the learning because I'm, I'm a helper, right? I'm going to help you. And if I see, if I see your story is the same as mine, I know what the answer is. So I'm going to tell you instead of applying my coaching skills. So get to the point later in the program where um, I'm struggling a little bit and how to determine whether I wanted to do this or not. Was I interested in the idea of being a leadership coach and serving people this way, or was I committed to it? So I had to find out what was getting in the way of that. And that took some deep introspection. And ultimately, um, I reframed my relationship with vulnerability. I believed that vulnerability meant weakness. That's what I'd been conditioned to. And um, went through this process uh, of exploring what was I going to need to invite leaders into, the people I worked with into, so that they could amplify their impact as a leader. And that they were going to need to step into the vulnerability. Um, as part of that process. And so in order to be able to do that authentically, I had to have a, a healthy relationship with vulnerability myself. And so came out of that uh, in May of 2013, going into the last set of classes. Uh, I walk into the, the building that we have our classes in. Between the elevator and the classroom, I got stopped by two separate classmates, uh, different uh, engagements. And they said exactly the same thing to me. They said, you look lighter. And they weren't talking about my weight. My whole physical manifestation had changed. And so in terms of life lessons there um, and vulnerability being a big part of that for me, vulnerability is human, right? The reframe was, to, was from vulnerability is weakness to vulnerability is human. It's how we connect with one another. It's how we appreciate one another and the hum the, our shared humanity, it's both our shared humanity, appreciating that, and then what's uniquely different about each one of us. And so when we come from that place, we're more inclined to look at, hey, what do I bring? What is my contribution? And standing in that with strength and also standing in what, what I'm not. My, what people refer to as weakness, but they're just non-strengths. They're not really weaknesses. Um, and so then the other piece to that uh, is with vulnerability you if, if you're invulnerable you you've, you may have seen in uh conferences or your leader gets up in front of them and they're impenetrable right they have to be right and have all the answers it makes it difficult to connect with someone that knows it all when we ourselves know i don't know it all so how could i ever be a leader if that's what a leader looks like the model of that becomes difficult and so um that transformation um led to me looking at um, not only did I want to get into people development, team development, but it's going back to look inward in terms of the life lessons you were talking about. It's we tend to look outward for validation, for answers, and it's building that inner strength, that inner core, and that inner belief of who we are. And it's a discovery process. And so when we when we when I redirected my energy into discovering who Brian was, what mattered to me. Uh, that enabled me to better create my conditions and understand what they were to be successful so I could put myself in those situations so I could make decisions in alignment with those. And so those are the life lessons in terms of we tend to look outward and, and we're humans, right? We need connection. Yes, that's true. But I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for having the answers within. And that's what our job is as coaches is the client has the wisdom within inside them. How do we use our skills and, and um, abilities to bring that out uh, through questioning and other techniques? And so that was the invitation I would uh, invite our listeners into is think about how much time you invest in uh, inward in terms of uh, determining who you are, believing in yourself and that, hey, if I don't know the answer, I believe in my ability to figure things out. And then I have confidence to ask uh, for help and to make requests because that's not weakness either. That's just knowing where your limitations may be right now and you haven't uh, progressed in certain areas and you need someone to help move you forward. Yeah, comparison is a terrible, terrible thing that we put ourselves through, right? Um, and we 
like you said, we, we often look for that validation piece. And a lot of times we look at, uh, you know, so-and-so person at, you know, whatever position and we say, well, we want to be there. But again, our own journey and what that person went through is going to be drastically different than what we have to go through because they have different abilities and skills and strengths than what we have. And what we are going to be able to do is going to be completely different. So it's something that we have, we, it's a, it's a almost like a trap game that we, we end up getting ourselves into. And so it's really important for us to, like you said, really be introspective. And I completely agree. We have to really understand who we are in order to know what we can do moving forward and to serve others. Um, as you were saying that, you know, the phrase that kept coming in my head was we can't pour from an empty cup, right? We have to really be confident in ourselves and really understand what we can bring to the table in order to activate those around us. And like you say, unleash human greatness. And you and I both know that vulnerability needs to come from this place of trust and psychological safety. And while this conversation I think has been discussed, you know, quite a bit on what companies and leaders can do to allow for more vulnerability, what I'd love to hear what you have to say about what employees can do if they want to be more vulnerable and create a more psychological safe environment uh, or psychologically safe environment when the environment around them may not be that way. I believe part of this uh, and a huge part of it is having the courage to ask for what you need. And we've been conditioned in the workplace to comply, to fit in, to just kind of integrate into the existing culture. And, uh, and so in terms of just going back to what you were sharing in terms of comparison, you know, going up the corporate ladder, getting the next job, whatever the career path that I'm supposed to be on. And Chris, you and I may be, you know, in the same workplace, but you may have different goals. You may have thought out what you wanted. You may have a clear plan for what that is, but the expectation or you got to get, you know, the promotion, you've got to progress into leadership. You've got to do this. And mine just might be different, right? I might have different, not only skills and abilities, but aspirations and desires. And where's the opportunity for us as leaders to ask, you know, not only get really clear on what the strengths of your people are, what they um, can bring to the table, but where do they want to go? What, are they, what really lights them up? And how can I help foster the opportunities there aligned with our business needs, right? It's line of sight, right? So line of sight to business, yes, we can kind of get our arms around what that looks like. But what if I know what my employees, where they want to go, and when opportunities come up, ah, Chris would be great for this. Brian would be great for that. And having that awareness. And so the spending time with people. So it takes courage as an employee to look inward, have clarity about what you need. It does, it, while it's interesting what other people may need and you know, your friends, your coworkers, what matters most is what matters to you. Um, if it's getting the promotion, great. If it's making more money, great. If it's leading people, great. Um, whatever that is for you. And what if it's just trying different things because you don't know yet? How do you go about doing that in a way that doesn't make you look like you don't have the uh, prototypical aspiration, but actually it's really smart in my mind to, to kind of take different uh, opportunities across different parts of the business, which I ultimately I think prepares you for leadership. And so courage is one thing. The other thing is, and you're talking about you can't fill from a, an empty cup, it's paying attention to your energy, right? Um, we tend to get into this routine of, you know, go, 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 strive, 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 achieve, 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 without paying attention to, does this even really matter to me? And if it does, how do I get more curious and how do I make requests to explore what's next for me? What would be the next opportunity for me to continue to grow as a person and in my contribution to the organization? Yeah, having that, creating that environment as leaders is, is something that is very, very difficult and having that awareness, like you said, but if you can do that, you are going to be an incredible people first leader because, and not just people first leader, a business leader, because you will be able to plug and play the individuals that need to go into different areas of the business where you know they will be successful. And that just in the end looks good on you. And I think that you, Brian, creates 
great work environments, great experiences for those around you. And I know Mike Vacanti, a close friend of yours would agree because he shared with me that uh, Brian is committed to creating environments and opportunities for growth and becoming better. And to be clear, I mean committed, not just focused, but standing strong against the powerful forces of status quo and comfort zones. Brian is the champion of expanding possibilities with a pure commitment to the greatest power available for possible or for positive change people. So, wow. <laughs> so again, when, when we look at things like the environment that we create in our organizations, there's a lot of work still to be done. And we we do, you and I both do this work on how we can really humanize the workplace. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there of what it really means to humanize the workplace and lead people first. Because I think for a lot of businesses or a lot of you know executives or even managerial types, it seems a bit woo-woo and too soft, right? Yeah. Can you share some of the biggest obstacles that you deal with when you talk to those companies and leaders and how you've gotten them on board with the work that you do? So for me, it starts with mindset, right? And so we've all got our conditioning. We've all got the lens through which we look through and we can only change what we're able to see, right? And so if I'm, and that's why I talk about expanding possibilities. People ask me what I do. I I help people see differently. What does that mean? Does it mean seeing what Brian sees? No, it means expanding the lens through which you see things so that you can uh, see new possibilities and invite um, new ideas to create better for people, for the business. And so what does it mean? It means um, checking in with your mindset. Is that something that you have, you know, you're carrying with you? And if so, there's no judgment there, but is that something you want to carry forward? How is this contributing to your uh, uplifting your people, setting your people up for success, setting the business up for success? So mindset's a big thing with that and helping people uh, to check in with their beliefs, their values, and what they're able to see now and, and saying, wait a minute, I know this is you know, sort of what I have and what I've uh, been conditioned to and what I um, currently hold. How is this serving what we're trying to do? How is, how is this helping me uplift others? And so it's really that back looking inward. That's where the whole looking inward comes from. It's like checking in with your mindset. Because for me, I was when I went to Georgetown, back to the Georgetown example, I was like 99.9% in my head all the time, right? And I, mm-hmm. my experiences with leaders is, uh, while it's not quite maybe that drastic, oftentimes we lead with our head, right? And the biggest shift for me was when I moved like 18 inches down to the heart and started leading from my heart. Um, and, you know, I found this out during Georgetown, but I'm going to ask you, Chris, this is just out of curiosity. When the human body gets formed, what gets formed first, the brain or the heart? It's the heart. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, it, it seems really obvious, but I was like, wow. Right. Because obviously the brain's got to pump the blood in for the brain, to, uh, the heart has to pump the, the blood in for the brain to function. And so uh, what happens is we get disconnected from the heart because we're so wrapped in our mind. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's mindset. And then the other thing in terms of uh, things that I invite leaders into is, is pause. Cause we're so busy. We're going into this routine. We're going in, we're stuck in this pattern. Right. And we don't take the time to pause and take a look up, pick our head up and see what's going on. Get curious about what's going on. Ask people who haven't, whose perspective haven't I asked? How might that invite new possibilities? Um, how might that make people feel like they belong and valued because I'm asking you know, their perspective on things? And how does that help us create the conditions? So if I do that as a leader and I do that for managers, what does that invite them to do with their team, right? It starts to create this ripple effect of we valuing people, creating the conditions, getting to understand what the people on your team and your organization need and um, continuously checking in with that. Instead of, oh, I'm the leader, I've got to know all the answers. I've got, and that's, it's a very lonely position to be at the top of an organization. And so that loneliness factor and, oh, I've got to get this right. It's that shift from I to we is the biggest opportunity that we, uh, we work with leaders on. Yeah, the, the mindset piece, and I know you've said this before, is with when we connect, and like you said as well, is when we connect the, the mind to the heart, it's, 
incredibly powerful. It's something that, um, again, aligning ourselves um, and then allowing ourselves to align others around us is something that we can triple, quadruple, you know, however many multiply our, the effect, amplify the effect that we have. But it's very uncomfortable, right? It, it's very, it's, it's something that we have to, and I know you've said this before, is we have to unlearn. We have to unlearn this, this mindset of A, not having all the answers, B, you know, being willing to fail, right? And being uncomfortable and not having certainty in the work that we have is something that's scary for a lot of people but there's a lot of possibility there. So can you share what is possible when we as leaders or organizations are comfortable with the unknown and what happens when we apply that to our teams and those around us to be able to innovate? Thank you for that question, Chris. And um, I'd like to come back to unlearning for a second right now, because I think unlearning is the greatest learning that we can as a human being undergo because of the conditioning, right? So, we all get conditioned to, to believe and value certain things. And so uh, with regard to um, stepping into leadership and uh, creating this space where we feel comfortable with uncertainty and we embrace uncertainty, it's just like with this you know, current situation, the pandemic, there's you know, all kinds of emotions come up, feelings, uncertainty comes up. The question I invite people into is what is the invitation, right? What is the invitation? What is the opportunity or possibility this invites us into? Whether it's creating as a business person, new programs, whether it's um, using the time to connect with my people so I better understand them. What is the thing that I may not have had the time to do, or at least I think I haven't had the time to do that would be most valuable right now as in using this opportunity um, with remote working, so. Uh, shifting the way we do business. How might I look at not only this is a business model to get through uh, COVID, but how might I look at what the value proposition is from being able to work remotely for our people and for us as a business in terms of potentially cost savings, in terms of uh, uh, time with family, which gives people more energy and replenishment um, so they have more to bring when they're in the office. And it's all those things. And so Uh, As a leader, the thing to think about is what is the invitation here? And it's it's like with any challenge, right? So whether it's um, a challenge or uh, uncertainty and fear, um, it's putting that pause in there, right? So what I work with clients on a lot of times is we have the, when fear, if we have a relationship with fear where we just get into our reptilian brain and it's reactive, right? How do we get from reactive to responsive? we have to do a pause and, and that gets to noticing, right? So it's looking inward, noticing, you know, your body feeling and the things that um, when you're triggered, what happens? So first is noticing when those things happen. And when I notice what that happened, when that's happening, I have the opportunity to pause and shift my response and disrupt the, the reaction and create a response there of how I show up, of what I bring, of um, the conditions I may create, if it's a team environment or a group environment, and so it's that um, unlearning uh, and disrupting and creating the conditions for you personally so that you can be responsive. And as you build that as a leader, then you're paying attention to your, as you get build your ability to pay attention to your environment as well. Then you can start picking up on things, picking up on cues, maybe needs of people that are, may not be expressing them, but um, you know, there's energy that you tap into or there's um, cues that you pick up on that may invite you to ask a question to open them up. What if, what if we were more attentive as leaders and weren't just waiting for people to, to express themselves because maybe they don't yet feel comfortable? How can you make them comfortable? How can you invite them into that? From what you're saying, it sounds a lot like mindfulness, and I am sure that's what it is, is just being aware of, again, the reactions that come up, but before you actually act on those, right, is kind of doing a quick check, like, is this the appropriate response? And then again, being very present as, and in tune as to what's happening around you, right? What are those cues that other people are giving? And if you can pick up on those as well as kind of control what you are doing or what have a controlled response to get the most out of people, 
you're going to get a lot more out of people, right? Um, and that brings me to an interesting question uh, around masks and authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll share a little bit about myself is I try to be very mindful of how like I come off, right? Is I have this tendency to speak slower, kind of like how I am right now, because I'm being very mindful of what I'm saying, as well as how I'm being perceived or what the uh, matching the, the person that's across from me and, and their, their mm-hmm. tone. But when you look at something like masks and authenticity, how does that work together or how do they maybe uh, go against each other? And what can we do more to allow employees to take those masks off? And so with me, uh, Chris, it's about creating the conditions, right? And so you're talking about control, how you show up and, you know, uh, being aware. And for me, it's about intention, right? Um, As I look back on my story in terms of the work mask, I talk about the work mask, you know, that last layer of invisible clothing we put on just so we can survive the day in the workplace. And, and, And think about the different intention from that to, how do I bring my best? Inviting people to bring their uh, creativity, their innovation, their new ideas, their discretionary effort, I talk about a lot. And if people are just looking to survive, they're already coming in at less than 100% capacity. So expanding human capacity. Um, Mike talks about this a lot too. And, this is, and so we often think, oh, we need more people. What if we didn't need more people? What if we needed to just expand the human capacity and focus it and direct it where people's strengths were, those kind of things. And so intention becomes a thing as a leader in terms of, and as an individual in terms of noticing, hey, you know what, I am wearing a work mask going in and you know, just not having any judgment initially, just being aware that that's the case. And so what possibilities does that open up? What does it limit? Well, it limits you know, your ability to want to step into uncertainty and wanting to raise your voice and give your um, ideas when you feel they may not be heard. And so the greatest opportunity here uh, is to create the conditions for that, creating conditions where people feel like they belong. And so what does that mean? Well, what if caring was the most important thing you did as a leader? What if it was caring? And what if you uh, cared about your people enough to find out um, not just the uh, chit chat of how's your weekend, that kind of thing, which is nice because there's engagement there. But what if you understood that their, their kid was um, struggling um, with something and you know, they've been having to devote a lot of energy to that and um, had an awareness of that and were able to create a work scenario for them over the next four to six weeks that allowed them to deal with that and, and kind of reorganize the, the workload around them so the person could focus on their life outside of work and looking at the whole person. And so that's the opportunity I see is as the whole person uh, intention with which we look at our employees to put people first. And when we're talking about masks and authenticity, I know when I put my mask on, you weren't getting the authentic brand. You're getting the brand you're asking for. Yeah. Right. Cause that's, I responded to what you asked for, you know, come in, do this, follow, conform to what this is. And so that's what, that's the culture we created. And then, you know, people come in the organization and then there's this kind of integration into uh, conformity for what's being asked for. What if you ask people to bring and be themselves, to share their voice and created the space for that to happen and created the space for um, and the mindset around failure that said, um, fail often and then learn from that yeah. and, then, and then improve upon that in terms of innovation. Because it's interesting that mindset around failure about not wanting to fail, not having to get it right and how that just inevitably it stifles in, in innovation. And yet we say, oh, we, we strive for innovation. Well, how can we get to, to B if we're not focusing on A first and creating the conditions? And so um, that's where the authenticity piece for me is if we're putting on a work mask, there is no authentic person. There's a suppressed version of Brian coming in that is responding to the conditions you've created in the workplace. So instead of kind of reacting that and saying, the, the person is the problem. Let's look at what the cause is, the root cause of that, and say, wait a minute, what could we be doing differently as an organization? What could I be doing differently as a leader to shift the conditions so the mask didn't have to be put on before the person walked in, that they're 
excited to come to work every day, that they brought their discretionary effort, that they brought their innovation and creativity freely. And when, when that happens, you've got that kind of environment. Think what's different for teamwork and not having to compare yourself or com to compete with one another. But this notion, again, of moving from I to we. You step out of survival me. I've got to protect myself armored up to how can I bring more fully what I have to contribute. Yeah, again, we, we come back to that invitation aspect and that, that environment aspect. And I want to share another word of praise real quick from Vivian Aqua, some, uh, a moderator of that, a panel that Brian and I were both on. And her comment or her praise is simply, Brian is a true champion in transforming leaders to lead with heart and to create better. And so again, when we, you know, Brian, when you allow that space and create that environment for people to create better. It's, it's something that is truly transformative for everyone around you. And that's something that, you know, us as leaders need to be, be aware of. And the thing that I, I really want to exp not explore, but I would love to hear what you personally have found amazing this year and transformative this year. I mean, this year has been crazy, right? 2020 has been insane, just disruptive, whatever adjective you want to use. And going on your theme of unleashing human greatness, and based on what you've seen or experienced, how have organizations unleashed human greatness this year? For me, it's creating the space where people have a voice. And it's about stories. And that gets back to the connection. And so whether organizations create amazing results when they create the opportunity and the space for people to, have, to create amazing results. And so in working with teams and working with individuals, it's getting them to see them, themselves through the lens of uncluttered, to see themselves differently, let me say, in terms of what if, what if the limiting beliefs you hold are no longer true? Because I'm, I'm meeting you, Chris, for the first time, and you know you may have. Uh, I'm working with a client, and they have this this view, this lens of themselves, and I never would have found out about that if I didn't if they didn't tell me. And so that's that's what I see often in terms of organizations. And so the power of being able to shift how someone sees themselves, and unleashing their human greatness. It may be one person you work with or a team, but when you start there and then you um, help the team individually see differently, the team itself see how they can work with one another more collaboratively rather than competitively in comparison to how they have. Uh, and then as a leader then set team goals so that the aspiration becomes more we focused. That's the power. The power is in bringing the full contributions of each of your people. And in terms of organizational results, the ones that are adaptive, responsive and open to ideas from all levels of the organization, it doesn't matter where it comes from, the, the organizations that have truly uh, understood what it meant to be inclusive, created the conditions for inclusion, and looked at their entire, you know, um, their entire pipeline, right? So talk, think about the recruiting process. The first time you ever touch a candidate for a job, how does that reflect the organization and inclusion but from the job description, from the, um, the vetting process, from the, you know, the entire process, how is the experience for the employee from the time you meet them demonstrate your values of inclusion, diversity, and those kind of things? And so the organizations that have been successful and will continue to be successful are those organizations that prioritize and consistently practice their values so that they're not values on a wall but they're lived and you can feel them. And that's the thing I see with organizations and people and culture. It's not words, it's feeling. People actually feel it. And the energy levels are different. What, why are you so excited about your job, you know, Susie or Ron or whomever? It's because I love to come to work every day. Why do you love to come to work every day? Well, I get to bring my ideas. I get to contribute. I get to work with smart people. I get to deal with awesome customers. I get to have challenging situations, maybe with difficult customers that help me grow. And it's the thing with wonderful organizations is 
they didn't just become wonderful because they made decisions to be inclusive or uh, have certain values. They went through the, the hard work of creating the conditions that enable them to now carry those forward. And they've learned from that. And so there's unlearning back to unlearning again, there's learning anew. And so what, do you do, what are you willing to go through in terms of discomfort to create the conditions for your organization to succeed? And those organizations that do that with their people and prioritize the, the, the experience for their people and the development of their people, while that has sometimes been viewed as what is the ROI? Uh, that's an investment. I'm not going to see the investment for a period of time. It's not worth investing in. Well, what if what if that was exactly 180? What if you did the 180 just for yucks, right? Just for um, for kicks and said, well, let me just go all in in the next three to five years and say, I'm going to invest in my people and do it with intention and do it um, even with things that may not be related to their job, right? So you know, we want to make the accountant the best accountant ever. Well, guess what? They already know how to be an accountant. How do they deal with customers and the the, um, the human side of things? And that's where the opportunity is, right? Is um, thinking beyond just what the job description is and thinking in terms of what are the capabilities of the people in my organization and how do I bring them to bear on the challenges we face and how do I get more creative and how I um, am more nimble and agile, to use that term, um, with the people I have and how we solve our business problems. The innovative organizations that, and the um, successful organizations I see now and the ones that will be in the future do these things. When we, when we have an organization or an environment that allows for that, that innovation, uh, a lot of it is, again, cr- you know, we've already talked about this, but having a safe space, having vulnerability and, and generating ideas and allowing people to come to work fully engaged. Um, and something that I really appreciate is that when we look at how you like you yourself, Brian, as a leader, focus on the individual skills that people bring, like you just said, they that that just follows a career path, but that doesn't tell the whole story of who they are, right? We are all human, but you know, an accountant is an accountant for a reason, that's their profession, but that doesn't define who they are. That's just what they do, right? You know, uh, same thing with an engineer. You know, they might be really good at math, numbers. That's what they do, but that's not all who they are. We need to stop boxing people into their careers because when we do that, very often what I've seen is that does start defining who they are and they start using that as part of their identity. And it's very hard when someone has attached that to their identity to pull that away, pull that away from them or for, for them to move on because then they get stuck in that box. They say, well, I, but I'm an engineer. This is what I'm good at. It's like, no, but you have, you have other skills. You have other capabilities. You have other passions. Like let's utilize that. And, and again, it comes back to this fear of the unknown or this fear of failure, because it's like, well, but I'm, if I, I'm really good at, you know, crunching the numbers, but if I try to explore, I might fail. And if I fail, then people might not think as highly of me or something like that. So it's really important to allow, again, allow for people to explore different areas of their strengths, their skills, their curiosities even. And it's really important because again, that allows us to create a stronger work environment. I love what you shared there, Chris. If I could just add on top of that, it gets back to mindset, right? If we're focused on the box that I hired you on in the org chart and the role I hired you in, and that's stay in your box. I got a little bit of that at, at some point. And, and okay, so that we, then we know what that looks like because we get that. We've seen what that looks like. What if we looked at each person we hired as a problem solver, as someone that can contribute to solving the challenges our business is facing and deployed them according to uh, what was needed? And we had enough uh, intel on what their skill sets were, what their aspirations and what gets them excited so that we can make um, agile resource allocations. We get so locked into, well, this is my team and my people and I have this budget. And it's like, 
we get, we create the conditions for people to be selfish instead of saying we're on the same team. How do I bring Chris, who's got amazing skills outside of the job he has and thinks in a different way that we need in this project to say, how do we get Chris from project A to project B? And how do we then be creative on how to backfill that need and have conversations between managers and um, leaders and get that done. And that happens in workplaces and has for a while, but the mindset hasn't shifted to that where that is the norm in terms of what are the possibilities if we brought, that's where we talk about the whole self, right? Bringing the whole self to work, bringing the whole self of the employee. What if we understood and explored and invited more of that? What might that mean for organizations? Yeah. And, and again, when we look at it from that lens, it also allows for more diverse voices to come into the room to allow for inclusion of voices who, you know, who may not have had a voice before. And I know you're a really big baseball fan. And this year we celebrated a woman becoming the first general manager uh, in professional sports with Kim Ng becoming the Miami Marlins GM. We also have our first black Asian Pacific vice president elect in Kamala Harris. And we're slowly starting to see progress for diversity in both our society and our workforces. Yet it seems to be moving a little bit too slowly, if you know what I mean. Like progress is progress, but like you and I both know we would love to strive for more. So what strides would you like to see in this year of 2021 around diversity, equity, inclusion, and how can organizations help us get there? So the business case for diversity and inclusion has been around for decades, right? And so we know that the, the, the business case is, is there and it's, it's fairly obvious. Um, it's investment is commitment. And so uh, having people of diversity on your leadership team is great. Um, are you building your pipeline with the same intention? Mm-hmm. Are you hiring with the same intention? Not to fill quotas. And so when that gets back to the whole ecosystem of your hiring practice, what's the experience in the um, workplace and Um, How do people, how do your employees talk about your organization? And so in terms of advancing diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, how do we, how do we build practices, honor and consistently apply practices that bring the best people forward, regardless of any categorization of diversity. And what we're finding is when we start to change the way we look at things, right? See differently. Wayne Dyer says, we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. You know, Kim Ang getting uh, that first role in Major League Baseball, awesome. Kamala Harris, vice president, awesome. Um, But it's taken till 2020 for that to happen. And so what I'd like to see is an accelerated um, growth and the advancement of uh, inclusiveness. And that's a, maybe that's a place to, to talk about, right? We talk about diversity and inclusion. To me, it starts with inclusion and then we get diversity from inclusion. So how do we focus more on inclusion and creating the conditions for inclusion? How well is your organization doing that right now? No judgment, just assess, take a, take a, a check and see where you are. And then where would you like to be? And then that's sort of the model I do. Where are we now? No judgment. Where we want to go and let's figure out a plan to get there, whether it's individuals, organizations, or teams, right? And so if the intention is to do that and the commitment to, is to do that, meaning the investment, and it's not just I invested this year, I invested this six months. No, have this be a prioritized you know, uh, initiative. I don't even like to call it an initiative, but it's priority, it's a priority in your organization. That's it. And so What's more important than investing in inclusion in your people? If you're saying, well, we got to increase profits by this amount. Well, guess what? If you don't do that, you won't do that. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, it's, it's like it, 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 we've been missing the boat on because we're kind of focused on, you know, growing the business, growing the business. And if we don't grow the people, then guess what's going to happen? Your best people are going to leave. You're going to have to spend more money on getting people integrated in there. And people then are going to see, oh, well, people don't stay here. So I'll go here. I'll get, it'll be transactional from the employee perspective. I'll get what I need out of this. And then I'll go look for my next opportunity. What if that didn't happen? What if you created the culture where people just, you know, they, they wanted to stay, they, they wouldn't even think about leaving. And so 
that's the thing that I would invite people into to advance uh, your business. You have to advance inclusion. And when you advance inclusion and you invest in your people and make that commitment, you'll see the business results. There's data out there to support that right now. And we keep seeing it. And so when are we going to you know, decide to pay attention to it and then act upon it, right? So we've got this, I, this is my action circles kind of thing, right? We've got this learning catalyst that says diversity and inclusion and belonging all create better business results. And so what's getting in the way of people taking inspired action to become better, create better and amplify impact? It's like, how much longer do you wanna wait? What else do you need to see to say that that's the way forward? And the other thing about this, Chris, that I mentioned is this lens of 90 day results in the short-term lens. That's part of the challenge why this investment doesn't happen is because we wanna see immediate results. What's the ROI on doing something like this? The ROI is retention. It's, it's people giving people enough time to develop and learn, giving people the opportunity to learn, fail, grow, become better and bring innovative and creative ideas. And that takes time. And so when we look at the long-term lens from a business perspective and from an individual uh, organizational people development perspective, we get the best results. It just may not happen on this conditioned uh, timeline for um, the command and control error. It's about creating the space for uh, this to happen. It gets back to what you said earlier, right? Around human capacity. If you can grow the capacity of, of what someone is able to do, right? As, a, as an employee or as a leader. And again, that ripple effect that they can have grows as well. I mean, just stop trying to fit, you know, five uh, uh you know five gallons of water through a hose that can only take one gallon right if you want to get five gallons through that hose grow that like help that hose i mean maybe that's a bad analogy but you have to get a bigger hose right like right. you have to you have to again you have to create that additional capacity i i've been at organizations where they're like we need more you know we need more sales it's like okay like let's invest in our sales team to become better salespeople, but no, that costs too much. It's like, well, then you're not going to grow sales. And again, quarter after quarter, they're like, why aren't our sales growing? It's like, well, you did not build the capacity for them to grow and to learn. You're just trying to force them to do more. Right. And so that just doesn't work. And your point is about outcomes, right? Yeah. We want to have more sales. We want our sales team to create more sales. And so, well, what's working right now? I mean, what kind of question are they asking these questions? Instead of focusing on the outcome, how about the conditions that create the outcome? So what's working right now? What's not working? What is the turnover ratio in the sales department? What are the factors contributing to the sales? Why, you know, and so you look at, you know, people want metrics and data. What are the conditions that the factors that are contributing to this, right? And so that's, I believe if we look at a five-year time horizon from 2021 through 2025, and those that choose to invest in people in the long term and are not microscopically focused on outcomes in the short term will win. And people will win, organizations will win, and clients and customers will win. And partnerships will become long term instead of I've got this client and it's one time transactional thing. So you build relationships, you build relationships. If you're doing that internally, guess what's probably going to happen effectively? Your client relationships are probably going to be good too. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I, I've learned so much from you, Brian. I mean, I, I've listened to you talk, you know, we've, we've been on a panel together, but I've definitely learned a lot just from this conversation. And I know Carolyn agrees with me because the praise that she had for you said, I learned from Brian from each of our conversations. I have a lot of respect for him. He's thoughtful and purposeful. He always keeps intention at the heart of the way that he shows up. He's ready to dive in and support with a synthesis of mind and heart. So on that note, you know, looking at the impact that you have, I would love to hear what you, what you think your impact is or what the impact you would like to have on the people around you. So first is igniting their belief. Um, people are amazing. And sometimes our lens of ourselves is more critical than um, how others see us and maybe what reality is. And so how do we ignite belief in people? How do we um, help people need to see new possibilities, right? It's about new possibilities beyond which I can, what I can see now. And so um, that, what, what inspires you, right? What, what gets you um, to say, wow, I'm all in on this. And what does that look like for you? 
and getting it back to it's what matters to you, right? It's not this comparison of Chris is doing really great here. Wow, he's this far along in his career. He's got this amount of money or this size house. It's like, what matters to me? And so this is where I am. This is where I want to go. And this is what matters to me is the foundation for that. And then how do we get there? And it's this focus on me. But the reason you're doing that is because likely while you're serving is beyond yourself. The purpose is beyond that. And that's what I found out in terms of um, in order. It sounds counterintuitive, but it's both about me and it's not about me at all. I need to focus on what matters to me as the foundation for serving myself so that I can replenish my cup like you're talking about and keep replenishing it so I'm better able to serve others. And so that's about uh, then about amplifying impact. How do I become better? so that I can create better and co-create better with others so that we can amplify impact. And that's what it's about. But it all starts with your relationship with yourself, igniting, I, I hope people walk away from, whether it's client engagements, um, even conversations, hopefully sometimes that happens where um, they just get a different level of belief in themselves and see new possibilities so that they can create better. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Brian. Where can people connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Thanks so much, uh, Chris. Social media, um, LinkedIn is probably the best place. I'm on Instagram. I'm on all the social media. BrianKellyLeadershipCoaching.com, my website. Those are probably the best places to connect with me. Fantastic. Well, Brian, again, thank you so much for coming on. This was, you know, it's always a good conversation when you and I talk. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Brian. I personally love talking with him because he's always sharing wisdom every time we get a chance to chat. Don't forget to connect with him because he's doing some amazing work as a people first leader and shifting others to have an uplifting mindset. And if you want to uplift others, I'm actually collaborating with some amazing people to create the Leaders for Equity, Allyship and Diversity group. It's a space where leaders can show up unapologetically authentic, have honest conversation, and to learn and activate on the social injustices that we see in this world. Find us on LinkedIn under Leaders for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity, and yes, that does spell out LEAD. Let's keep this conversation going. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and share with us what you loved most about this episode on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.